Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Dear listener, welcome to the program. It's always good to have your company, and Colin and myself are pleased that you've joined us again today. We're continuing our series, which is based on the book of Pastor Dennis Smith, 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return. Now, just before we start, we just invite you to bow your heads with us as we ask God's blessing on our study today. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the privilege of Bible study. We can communicate with you, Father. We have access through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right into your presence. And, Father, you communicate to us through your Spirit as the Bible gets unfolded to us. And today we just pray for that two-way communication. We ask you to bless us, baptize us afresh, and also the person listening this day with your Holy Spirit is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Colin, last time we were talking a little bit about the latest seeing message Perhaps you can just give us a little synopsis of what we discussed and what is lying ahead for today's program. It's great to be here, Etienne. Um, yes, we did an overview of the later scene message. Mm. This is a message that Jesus spoke through John, mm. the Revelator, and it's the message to the last church that is living just before Jesus comes. Okay, so it's it's an important message for the times in which we live because we believe we are that last last day church. That's right. And in Revelation chapter 3, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the latter scenes write, These things said the Amen, the faithful and true witness. This is Jesus speaking. Mm. The beginning of creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would rather you cold or hot, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. So this is pretty serious stuff. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And no, it's not that are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It's not talking about rich as far as money. It's talking about spiritually. We think we're okay. Mm. And he says, you know, you're poor, blind, miserable, and naked. And he goes then, Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy me of gold, tried in the fire, that thou may be rich, and white raiment, that thou may be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayst see it. And then he continues on, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And then it has this picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking, mm. and saying, if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and sup with him, eat with him, and he eat with me. And then he says, to him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome and sat down with my father in his throne. And so here he is, Jesus, giving this, you know, it's a warning message, mm. but it's also a message of hope. Of course. Let, he's saying, let me in. Let me in. It's a solution to a problem, but the thing is the, the people that the, the, the solution is given to don't realize there's a problem because it says they do not know that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, Colin, we're we talking about Christian people here. We're we talking about people who do not believe. Well, this message is to the church. Okay, so we're talking to Christians, and the thing that startled me, is it possible that I can be calling myself a Christian and Jesus can be outside knocking to come in? That's but right. Jesus is not inside. Well, that's what this text is alluding to. It's saying that Jesus is knocking trying to come into our hearts, mm. that the latest in the last day church thinks they're okay. I mean, and so the first step of coming out of latest is really realizing, hey, I'm not okay. Yeah. I need Jesus in my life daily. 
I need him to come into my heart. Yes. And then I need the things that he's offering me. I need the eye salve. I need the gold. I need the the you know, the, the robe of righteousness. I need these things. Mm. But if you think you don't need anything, then you don't. there's no solution, is there? Well, there's no solution, and you've got no need to open the door because you said, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. So the fact that you need of self, nothing means there's self-sufficiency there. And when someone's knocking on the door, you go, well, look, I've got everything in here. Why would I open the door for something else? But the whole startling aspect of this message is that Jesus is saying, I'm outside, open the door so I can come in so we can dine together. That's right. And we finish off with this wonderful quote by um, a Christian author, Ellen White. She wrote this, We thank God that there are souls who realize that they are in need of something which they do not possess. So the first step is realizing that we need something. Hmm. We need something more. She goes on to say, the gold of faith and love. So what's the gold? Faith, faith and, and love. love. Yeah. We need the faith of Jesus, the love of Jesus. Hmm. Paul talks about you know the things that actually do avail is faith working by love, and that's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Yeah. Hmm. She goes on to say, we need the white raiment of Christ's righteousness. You know, we need Christ's righteousness. Mm. We not only need his justifying righteousness, we need his sanctifying righteousness. Or some people would use, you know, imputed and imparted Imparted, righteousness. We also, he says, we need the eye salve of spiritual discernment. We need to know our true condition. So we need the Holy Spirit. And she says, if you possess these precious gifts, the temple of the human soul will not be like a desecrated shrine. And so really the latest message enables those who receive it not to have a desecrated shrine. In other words, a desecrated shrine is a soul temple living in sin. Right. Their lives will be one of victory over sin through Christ and his righteousness. I really want to make that point. Through Christ and his righteousness, not through our own efforts. Yeah, our efforts are not meritorious. It's the merits of Christ that saves us. That's right. Yes, amen. That's right. And so... uh, those who receive this message reject what we call the omega apostate teaching, all right, which Ellen White spoke about, you know, back about a hundred years ago. Mm. Over hundred years ago, she says that the church had received this message that that the three angels' message would have went to the world and Christ would have come. But it just says the church rejected this message. And so she says towards the end, before Jesus comes, there's going to be what's called an omega apostasy. And the omega apostasy teaching is that victory over sin and obeying God's commandments is impossible. Mm. I mean, you hear that all the time. And when we think about it, Eddie, like, you know, when we look to ourselves, it does seem impossible with us from a human perspective or point of view, doesn't it? It seems impossible. Yes, it does. But what did Jesus say about pot being all things possible? Well, look, the thing is, when you look at Jesus' message, there are times when he set the standard so high that his disciples said, well, if that is the case, who then can be saved? You know, we talk about the rich young ruler. Yes. And he's saying, well, then he says, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So really, it comes down to understanding that we cannot do it ourselves. Matter of fact, the good thing for us to do is to understand very quickly we can't do it. So then give up, but surrender. Give over to the Lord because he's able to do it. And the second aspect is it is by faith. It's through faith. Not that faith has merit, but simply faith takes hold of the merits of Christ and faith actually is believing that God will do exactly what he said he would do. So believing in the promises of God. Amen. And what did Jesus say there? Because like the, the disciple says, well, 
this is impossible then. From our point of view, from a human point of view, it can't it do- be done. It seems like it's impossible yes, that's right. to keep God's commandments and have complete victory over sin. Mm. It does, doesn't it? And so therefore, because we think it's impossible, we think therefore it must be impossible for God. Well, what is that really showing? A lack of what? Faith. Yeah, it's yeah. A lack it's of unbelief. faith. And without faith, it's, it's impossible to please God. So God wants us to exercise faith and believe him. Adam, Adam How about crossing Eve? the Red Sea? Did that seem impossible? Of course. They're between a rock and a hard place. They were between two mountains, and the sea was in front of them, and, of course, the Egyptian army was behind them. They wanted to come and kill them. So could, could the Israelites actually part the Red Sea and go through it by their own power? Couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Mm. And so, but, so who did it, though? God did. Jesus did. So he worked through Moses. And we could go through example after example through the Bible. Mm. And um, so, yeah, God, what did Jesus say? He says, with all things, with God, with us, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible, isn't mm. it? Well, this is the thing. You know, there's a, the, the first three Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record the story about the rich young ruler and where those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And then Jesus says, so this is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Mark chapter 10, verse 26, and then also in Luke chapter 18, verse 26 and 27, it says then God, or Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So it's possible with God. And we, and, and all we've got to, to really do is is just have faith and belief and put ourselves in a position, all right? In other words, we surrender and ask God to do what we cannot do. Amen. I mean, really, that's really it, isn't it? That's, that is it. But many people, including Christians today, say, well, you know what? If I can't do it, it's impossible. And so what they're really saying is, God, you can't do this. Hmm. My sinful nature is stronger than your power. That's that that when you boil it down, that's what they're saying. That's right. That's right. Mm. So we're going to talk about this latest scene message, which actually describes a sequence of experience. Yes. However, I believe it's a reverse sequence. Now, step number one in Revelation chapter three, verse twenty, is we must let Jesus in. Mm. Amen. Which happens when we receive the eye salve of the Spirit by experiencing the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit, mm. because the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit is the daily. Uh, letting Christ live out his life in and through us through the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's asking for Christ in us, the hope of glory, every day. Christ, come into my heart and live out your life in and through me. And if Jesus is living in me and living in you, then he will seek to, what? Obey and keep his Father's commandments. Yes. That's right. So that's the first step. It's through the spirit-filled experience that Christ lives more fully in the believer. And it really says that in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 18, doesn't it? It says there where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come and I will be with you. The Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but will be in, in you. you. That's and it right. says the Father and the Son will come and dwell in you. Yeah, John 14, 23. That's right. That's right. And through Jesus living in us, he will be able to manifest his justifying and sanctifying righteousness which is white raiment mm. in and Amen. through us, and which is Colossians one twenty seven, And Colossians one twenty seven says, uh, it, it's the uh, message where it says... Uh, it talks about the mystery of God. The mystery of God, which yeah. is Christ, Christ in, in you. you. Mm. Interesting. Amen. That's the last work it says in Revelation chapter 10, which, 10 verse 7, where Jesus says, 
the last work of God is the mystery of God. Just which before the be, seventh trumpet which blows. Which will be completed. Yeah. Be completed just before Jesus comes, it says, before mm. the seventh trumpet, which is when Jesus comes. Yes. It says the mystery of God will be finished. Mm. And the mystery of God is Christ in you. Yeah. Which will ultimately lead to the believer experience the perfect character of Christ, which is the gold of faith and love. Yes. Which is the faith of Jesus. Remember in Revelation chapter 14, uh, verses 6 to 12, Mm. Uh, this is a warning message. It's the first, second, and third angel's message. But what is the ultimate goal of that message? Just is to say, here are they. It is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and, and the faith of Jesus. Have the faith of Jesus. Mm. The faith, which is the faith and love of God. Yeah, amen. Of which the Ten Commandments are a transcript. The mm. Ten Commandments are a transcript of Christ and Father's. Character. That's right. And that love, which reflects the character of God, is really what the constitution of God's kingdom is based on. Yes. That's self-sacrificing, unselfish love. That's right, which can only come from Jesus mm. because it says the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 5 pours out love onto our hearts. Yes. It's agape, God's love on our hearts. And it all comes back to relationship. I mean, the whole time, the reason why Jesus is knocking outside the door of Laodicea is because he wants to come in and dine with us. He wants to sup with us. And it's all about relationship. He wants that love in our hearts. As much as he loves us, he wants us to love him back. But there's a barrier and that door is the barrier. We've got to open that door. That's and, right. and really the door represents unbelief and the door actually represents self-sufficiency. The mm. things that we do not know about ourselves. Or even like or, or self-delusion, that I, I'm okay. Self-delusion, yeah, that's a good I'm okay. I, I'm okay. Mm. I've got everything I need. Well, if we measure ourselves amongst ourselves, I guess we can come to that conclusion. Yeah. But when we look at Christ, we'll see our own sinfulness, even if we have already come to the Lord because Jesus is perfect. And we know by nature we are imperfect. That's right. Mm. So we've sort of looked, we talked in our last program about a brief overview of the latest scene warning message its contents, and the results of receiving or rejecting it. Mm. Rejecting it, you'll be spewed out of God's mouth. That's wow. basically, you'll be lost. Mm. So in the following programs, we want to present greater detail of the various elements of that message. Yes. You know, we want to really unpack the gold, the faith and the gold and the, um, the, the white raiment and the eye salve. And so we're going to unpack that in the following um, programs, um, which is important for God's people to understand in order to receive the message and come out of Laodicea. The first, pro- the first, I think, always say the first step of coming out of Laodicea is to realize that you are in Laodicea. Yeah, lukewarm. That mm. you are lukewarm, that you need these things. And so we want to come out of Laodicea and experience the victory over sin the gospel offers. The gospel is a gospel of power, pardon and power, mm. and be ready for Christ's return. So we're going to talk about today, it's a pretty... Uh, Pretty intense topic. It's called the Omega Apostasy. Right. And so we're going to unpack a little bit of that from God's Word and the Spirit of Prophecy. And so we can know what the Omega Apostasy is, so we can be aware of it. And then we're going to look at the following programs of how to come out of it mm. and what those different elements in the Bible to the message of Laodicea is. Great. So uh, when we say Omega Apostasy, we've spoken previously about the Alpha of Apostasy. And the word Alpha and Omega just means the A and the Z of the Greek alphabet. 
basically. Yes. So it's the first apostasy. Now we're talking about the last apostasy or the great delusion that was to come upon the whole world. But the delusion ultimately is most successful if Satan can have that imposed on God's people so that they do not do the work and don't understand the message and don't have the relationship with the Lord that prepares them for, for Jesus Christ's second return. That's second right. Coming. I mean, ultimately, they'd stay in Laodicea. Hmm. They stay lukewarm. Yeah. Or as the Bible connects it to um, the foolish virgins spoken of in Matthew chapter 25, you have the wise and foolish virgins. Hmm. The difference was between them that the wise had oil, had more oil, hmm. and they had oil in their vessels, which was character transformation. They had oil into, to take them through the, 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 the challenge that was lying ahead. The time of trouble. Time of trouble. And the other thing is also interesting to note that both the wise and the foolish were actually sleeping. That's right. But something comes along, and I was thinking about and this this morning, actually. I, when yeah. I was praying this morning, I was thinking, something comes along, some crisis is going to come along, and it's going to wake everyone up. Mm. And we go, oh, my gosh, we are here. Mm. We're finally here. And the wise virgins, even though they've been awakened, they were asleep, but they're ready. Yeah. It's interesting that the, the, the cry comes at midnight that wakes them up. And typically at midnight, you're fast asleep. Yes. Most people are anyway. Mm. And you're... Um, you are startled. If ever you've woken up, you're sleeping in the middle of the night, and there's a big noise or a big bang, or maybe you've listened to a thunderstorm all of a sudden. And there's lightning beside you. I've, I've woken up, and you know your heart's beating because of this big noise all of a sudden. This is the kind of startling thing that happens to the the church to say that Christ is coming because it's at midnight that this cry comes. Some crisis that really just wakes everyone up, it's and it's course, something the Jesus, whole world. Jesus is on his way. The bridegroom yeah. is about to come. Yes. So. Satan knows what the Apostle Paul wrote about about being victorious over sin in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 18. Mm. What did he write about being victorious over sin? Okay, so this is uh, Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, the reason he's asking this question, because he just said in verse 20 of Romans chapter 5, he says, moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So he's now contrasting that superabounding mm. grace, which is there's more grace than there is sin. He's saying then, what shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound so grace can keep on superabounding? Yes. Then he says, certainly not. And I like the way the King James puts it. This is New King James I'm reading from. It says, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So there's a question there. Yeah, isn't there right? How shall we who died to sin any longer live in it? In other words, the question we really want to ask us is: Have we died to sin? Yeah, that is a good question. If you have, you no longer live in it. That's basically what that question is referring, yeah, isn't it? That's right. Continue on. Okay, and then it says, verse three: Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So what? What? How did Jesus die? He was crucified. Didn't Paul say, I'm crucified with Christ? Mm. So it's not I that live, but Christ that, that liveth in me. Amen. So baptism actually signifies being baptized into the death of Christ. So when you enter that water, that water and you go under the water and you hold your breath, you stop breathing, go under the water, that represents death. So you're dying. You're dying. So this is symbolic of what's happened when Christ died, you died, and you now publicly confess that you are Reconciled, you are united to Christ's death. But the yes. good news is you don't stay under the water, do you? No. no. <laughs> so we but you've died on... to self. You've died to sin. That's right, because of what Christ has done. Amen. Amen. 
Keep so going. verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead. So this is now the good news. There's death, but there's now also a resurrection from the dead. Yes. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So we're born again. Born again, that's right. So there's, there's a death, but there's also a resurrection. We walk in newness of life, but this is the resurrection takes place by the glory of the Father. And we've already discussed what the glory is. Mm. God's righteousness, his character, his goodness, his mercy. So that's got to do with the resurrection. So death comes because of sin, and then resurrection comes because of glory and righteousness. Mm. So that we can walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, so in the likeness of Christ's death, we've united ourselves by faith to that, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Mm. Knowing this, so in verse 6 now, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now, who's the old man, Colin? What does that refer to? Is that to? Our, our sinful nature? Is that our sinful nature, our tendency to want to... Yeah, absolutely. That is our natural inclination, our natural tendencies, and, and everything that uh, that promoted sin in our life. Yes. Our old man was crucified with him. And that's the question. It's Well, I was, was it crucified? Because I think even in my own life, when I look mm. back at that, when I was baptized, was I really crucified with Christ? Mm. You know, had I really died to sin? Had, had I really died? And so, you know, this this chapter really, really challenges us. It does to say, were we really? Are we really crucified with Christ? I know when I was baptized, um, I didn't understand this, mm. and I unfortunately was buried alive because self didn't die. I was not crucified. With and Christ. the same thing with me, Eddie, and it was exactly the same thing when I was baptized. Mm. I didn't understand this no. to, to, to the depth of of what it meant to be crucified with Christ. Mm. So it says that the old man was crucified with 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 him, and for what purpose? That the body of sin might be done away with, and why? That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So the promise is, if we die, according to you know, crucified with Christ, that we'll no longer be slaves to sin. Amen. Because before that, we are slaves to sin, aren't we? Because we, we have a sinful nature, and therefore can't help yourself. Can't help yourself. All the good things you want to do, you can't do. And because all the bad things you don't want to do, those are the things that you do. Yeah, Romans chapter seven. Yeah. And so verse seven says, "For he who has died." Has been freed from sin. What a powerful statement! So there it is, isn't it? If yeah. you've died, right? If you've mm. died spiritually in this baptism, you know, this baptism, talking about crucified with Christ, you've been freed from sin. Mm. And remember, the last program we looked at the Laodicean condition, where they are wretched and miserable. The, the, the faithful, true witness says they are wretched and miserable. We unpacked wretchedness, which comes out of. Um, Chapter 7 of Romans But then also the miserable or the pitiable aspect That's a word that's only used twice in the Bible Comes from 1 Corinthians 15 And it says that if, if Christ is not raised from the dead You are still in your sins And of all people your faith is in vain And you are most pitiable or most Wretched. miserable mm. So here we see that the resurrection also sets us free from sin But also that death sets us free from sin So in, in Romans chapter 6 The emphasis is actually on death Which is on Justification. Mm. So for he who has died, in verse 7, has been freed, freed from, from sin. sin. Okay. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
So the, the fact that Christ has been raised, he's died once for sin, once for all, and dominion, the dominion of sin, the reign of sin, no longer has any sway or any power over him. So that, that word dominion is very important because we're mm. going to see the word dominion come up a little bit later again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In other words, death can no longer touch Christ. Yes. Then it says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. So whatever has happened in Christ, likewise you also means that we also now likewise by faith have to reconcile ourselves to the same things. So he's saying like when it died with Christ. Yes, yeah. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm. Therefore. So, so the word therefore means because of all this that's gone before. Because of all this, that's right. Gone before. And I like it. One of, uh, uh, one of the people I've enjoyed listening to preaching, he always says, when you see the word therefore, always ask, what is it therefore? And it usually <laughs> refers to what preceded what <laughs> that just, statement. In other words, what we've just read before. That's therefore, right. what we've just read. Mm. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should buy it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Because we've been free. We've been freed through Christ's death. That's right. So we don't have to be a slave to it anymore. Amen. And also we've been free through through the resurrection of Christ. Hmm. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Now we see that word dominion a second time. First of all, we were told that Death will no longer have dominion over Christ. Why? He died to, to, for sins once for all. He's now raised, and and what was required by the law has been fulfilled. Christ will not have to die a second time. He's got everlasting life. So in the same way that death doesn't have dominion over him, now it talks about dominion over us, but not about death so much. It's talking about sin, isn't it? It so, says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So what law are you talking about there? The law of sin? Yeah, exactly. The law of sin and death. The law of the law that the sin had over us, mm, mm. but under what? Under grace. That's There's right. the good news, isn't it? We're under grace now. Mm. It's great news. Amen. Well, Colin, we're actually halfway through our program, so let's take a break, and we'll be back right after these messages. It's interesting and tragic. Jesus was about to be crucified and the very people that he came to save didn't realize or wouldn't realize that the creator, the savior was in their midst. When Jesus was born, a star guided the wise men to the manger. The sea obeyed his voice when he calmed the wind and the waves. Disease and death recognized his authority. And when he died on the cross, the sun seemed to recognize what was going on and it refused to shine. The earth shook, the rocks came apart. Inanimate nature had known Jesus. But the priests and rulers didn't know the Son of God in their midst. Isaiah 45, 12 says, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. The maker of creation is among us today. Be sure that you recognize him in your midst. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. Dear listener, welcome back to You Shall Receive Power with Colin Hone and Etienne McClintock. And we are today studying the latest CN message. And at the moment, we find ourselves in the beautiful book of Romans, and we are in chapter 6. And just before the break, we wrote, read verse 14, where it says that sin shall not have dominion over you. In the same way that death no longer has dominion over Christ, the word dominion just means authority or power over you. 
Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, when we talk about being under law, there's a number of things that we've got to keep in mind. It's actually a very broad term. It does talk about the law of sin and death, but it also talks about being under the works of the law. And what do I mean by that? Trying to make yourself righteous by your own merits. Mm -hmm. We are no longer under law. And also the other thing is under the condemnation of the law. Now, another book that's complementary to the book of Romans was also written by Paul. It is the book of Galatians. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says that Christ was made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those under the law. So the redemption that comes through Christ for those who are under the condemnation of the law or even trying by their own merits to save themselves, we have been set free by grace. Sin will not have dominion over us. For we are not under law, not under our own works. We are under the works of God. Under the merits of Jesus Christ, it is under that grace that we actually set free from the dominion of sin. Because if we've broken the law, what is the penalty? Death. So we're not under that death. We are not. Amen. We're not under that condemnation. Well, we've reconciled ourselves to the death of Christ already. So we've already died. That's right. In fact, in Christ, everyone has to die. And if we die in Christ, we will not die the eternal death. Because it says in John, it says the... the, the, um, Transgression of God's law Sin is the transgression of God's law That's the mm. definition of sin isn't it Amen. The transgression of God's law And we've all sinned The That's Bible right. says we've all sinned So therefore we're all under the condemnation The law says you've broken the law Therefore here's the penalty mm. Here's death Christ has freed us from that condemnation that's yes, what the grace. Yes. That's the good news of the gospel mm. of, of of grace. Amen. So, so let's keep keep reading because I want to read down to verse twenty three because I think okay. It, so keep going. Right. It says, "What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace?" So what's it? What is sin? Is a transgression of God's sin law? Is so we continue of to law. break God's law. That's right. That's the same question, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, in Romans, I think in Romans chapter three, he answers that. Uh, Way back in Romans chapter 3, when he says in um, verse uh, 30 and 31, he says, Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, that's talking about, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Yes. Do we then make void the law through faith? Paul says, No, certainly Mm. not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Mm, So he's not saying we do away with the law, which many. Unfortunately, many Christians say that the law's been done away with. Yeah. You know, the law of condemnation of of sin. Mm. What is yes, that's been done away with, and the ceremonial laws that all pointed to Jesus, like you know the killing of lambs and all that's the right. all the washings and all the different things that went on uh, in the sanctuary. Mm. Those type of things have been done the ceremonial things because Jesus was the antitype yeah. of all that. That's right. But let's keep going here. Okay, it says then, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not, or God forbid. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So you've got a choice. There's a choice. It's death or... Under the righteousness of Christ. Or you can be under the righteousness. Yes, so one leads to death because of sin and the other one leads to righteousness. Yes, And then verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, and that's every single one of us, yet you obeyed from the heart. Now, to obey from the heart obviously is a heart response. It's a love response, and that can only come by the drawing us to him through the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit actually 
convicts us of sin, doesn't it? It says that in John chapter 16, it convicts us of sin, righteousness and judgment to come, Mm. and then leads us to the remedy for sin, which is to Jesus and the cross. Amen. Beautiful. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which means that form of teaching. So teaching is very important. You you can't de-emphasize teachings or the doctrines of, Mm. of the Bible. To which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Then he explains what he's been talking about. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of unrighteousness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, Mm. so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So he wants us to be uh, slaves of righteousness, which is... Right doing, Mm. obeying God's law for holiness. Amen. And the interesting thing it says there, it says that, you know, you've presented yourself as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Sin is progressive. Sin doesn't just step across the line and stop there. Sin keeps on walking further and further away from God, more and more and closer to perdition. It multiplies. That's right. Yeah, It's like an addiction. You need a fix more and more, and you need a greater fix every time. So sin is Mm. progressive like that, but God can actually save us from it. That's what this is saying. It's such a beautiful promise. Let's go. Let's go. um, So you were, verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. And then it says, and what fruit then did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? So as I look back on my life, Colin, even after I became a Christian and even during my walk when I've been distracted from the Lord, you know, when I haven't spent the time in in prayer and in study and that relationship with Jesus, I have thought thoughts, I've said things, Mm. I've done things of which I am ashamed. Not only while I was a Christian, but even prior to that. Mm. But Jesus promises that he's able to deliver us if we reconcile ourselves to his death. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection, and we can walk in that newness well, of life. Well, the good news is found there in 1 John chapter 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, yes. he, that's Jesus, is faithful to forgive our sins. So there's forgiveness offered and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. There's power to cleanse us from Amen. all unrighteousness. I'm so grateful for that cleansing. Otherwise, I'll be continuously ashamed because I'll be continuously falling. But the Lord is able, based on what we know and understand from Scripture, yeah. to keep us from falling. He's promised that. For verse 22. It says, okay, and just the last part there says, for the end of those things is death. But verse 22, but now having been set free from sin. He couldn't get a clearer statement than that. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end Everlasting life. There's the there's the ultimate promise because of mm. this. Amen. Is the promise of everlasting life. And then one of these beautiful texts which most Christians actually have heard or know. And dear listener, I'm sure this this will be special to you as well because it's such a wonderful promise. It says the wages of sin is death. And praise God, the text doesn't stop there. But the gift of God, which means it cannot be earned, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's yeah, great, great passage there. Great passage. Mm. Um, I hope that really, you know, makes sense. We were slaves, but now we can be free. Amen. And, and because of Jesus, mm. and because of His, um, for what He did for us. And so, when we look at John in the Book of Revelations, he writes about the obedience of God's last day remnant people. Remnant means the remaining, uh, what's left over from the original. So you got the early church. This is the last day church, yes, which, will, right. which will be a remnant, means it'll be like the early church. Early church, yes. Yeah. And he knows 
that they'll be commandment keepers because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. It says, and the dragon was enraged or wroth with the woman. So who's the dragon first? Okay, that's the devil of old. It's the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Yeah, so the Bible says that the dragon is Satan or the serpent. Or this is Lucifer. Mm. This is the devil himself, Satan. Yeah. Well, what makes him so angry? He says he went to make war with who? With the rest of her offspring or the remnant of her seed. So so the woman, what's the re- woman represent in the Bible? Church. Represents a church. God's people, doesn't mm. it? All right. So a church. So he goes get, make, makes war with a church that keep the commandments of God. That's right. Yeah. And it says, and the remnant of this woman. So the early church, right? Jesus, the disciples, the early church. They were obedient to the faith. They kept the commandments of Amen. God. Mm. So what happened, this obviously... Paul spoke, it says they were apostatized and they would go into the dark ages. But it says right at the end, just before Jesus comes, there will be a remnant or the offspring. Mm, there will be a revival. There will be a reform, revival it said, and reformation. And it says they'll be keeping the commandments of God. And that's, that's who right. Satan specifically, it says here, targets is making war on. Well, he gets angry with them because they actually prove him to be a liar. That's right. So you've got also, if you read through in the book of Revelation, um, in the verses on the book of Revelation, they give wonderful promise to those who overcome sin in their lives. Mm. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Revelation 2, verse 7. Okay. It's, so this is the message to the, the seven churches, and it's just a wonderful the way it ends the, the message of encouragement mm. uh, for each of those churches. This is uh, to the, the first church, which is the church of Ephesus, and it says, And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So restoration back to the tree of life. Praise but, God for But that. there's a promise to that if he who overcomes. To he who overcomes, that's right. So what about uh, Revelation 2, chapter verse, 2, verse 11? Verse 11. Okay, this is to the church of Smyrna. Mm. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, again, we have the word overcome there, shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death is the death that once you, if you receive the second death, that's it. Punishment. There's Eternal, no, there's no a, resurrection from that one. First, first one, everybody will be resurrected from. Second death. That's eternal separation, eternal. death. You don't exist forever. Amen. And so, again, overcome. What about uh, verse 17 to the church? Chapter 2, verse 17. Okay, so that's to the church of Pergamos. It says, And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here the Holy Spirit is speaking to the churches. To him who overcomes, we read overcome, that's the third time it's mentioned, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So here's another promise of hidden manna mm. and this white stone with his name written on it. So, but to the promises made to he who overcomes again. And again, we read in, in, in uh, verse 26 of Revelation chapter 2. Okay. And that's to the church of Thyatira. And it says, to, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Well, another promise there mm. to he who overcomes. And, um, and then we've got, obviously, in chapter 3, verse 5. Okay, that's to the church of Sardis. To he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So, obviously, these people are written in the book of life, and Jesus says, I won't blot your name out of that, because mm-hmm. there will be some people who will be blotted out of the book of life because they've claimed to be Jesus. So, you claim Jesus, your name is written in the book of life. Amen. But there is also that, that it could be blotted out in the book of life. Mm. And again, it says, he who is clo- overcome shall be clothed in white 
garments Amen. in the righteousness of Christ. And then the next church there is the church of Philadelphia, and that's in Revelation 12. 3, verse 12. Yes, yep. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven, from God, and I will write on him my new name. See, God's going to give him a new name. Obviously, you're going to be in the city, in the new, you get to be in the city, mm, the new Jerusalem in heaven. And it says, but again, the promise says, he who overcomes. Yeah. And I mean, do you think Jesus is trying to make a point? Because this is Jesus speaking here. Yeah. This is Jesus speaking to the churches. Mm. Well, the number of perfection in the Bible is seven. Yes. It's used time and time again. And it's interesting that it repeats it seven times because the Laodiceans message, which is the seventh church, the church of the Laodiceans, in verse 21 of chapter 3. So says this is to, the, final, the final one, Jesus says. Yeah, the final church. To him who overcomes, I will grant sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. And where's father sitting on the holy, throne? Part of the heavenly sanctuary. Yeah. yeah, so we get to sit down with Jesus in heaven mm. with his father. But again, to whom overcomes. So it's interesting that the contrast there because he says, to whom overcomes as I also overcame. So the way Jesus overcame is to the way we are to overcome. That's right. So knowing this, right, knowing this, yeah. right, so we're knowing this, it would be expected that Satan would work hard at undermining obedience to God's Ten Commandments because we want to overcome sin. Mm. And obey God. Yes. Commandments. So he obviously he's going to undermine this and mess with this. That's right. Uh, especially in the last days. He constantly works to lead men and women to disobey God's commandments, doesn't he? Mm, mm. Or say, um, well, you can't keep the commandments of God. It's impossible. However, he knows that he could not use cause this. Let's, for example, the Seventh-day Adventist church promotes keeping the Ten Commandments. Obeying yes, we the, do. That's yeah. right. So he knows he could not cause the Seventh-day Adventist to outright reject the Ten Commandments and say they're no longer valid. To, to the Seventh-day Adventist church, could he? No, he couldn't. Yeah. Because then we'd stop keeping the Sabbath, and then we won't be Seventh-day Adventist people. We'd just be Adventists. That's right. <laughs> Instead, he has and is working in a more deceptive manner to lead individuals to disregard them. Mm. He deceives God's people into believing it is impossible to fully obey them. So in one class, he has that the commandments have been done away with. And that's a lot of people who believe that. A lot of Christian churches believe that the that's commandments right. are being done away with. Well, if they've been done away with, there's no longer sin. Sin is transgression of the law. You do away the commandments. You that's do right. away with sin and a need of a savior. So there's one deception there, right, hmm. which is deceived yeah, many, many Christians that the commandments have been done away with. Okay. Uh, also, there's another class where he's deceived them that they've been changed. That's right. And even God spoke about that through the prophet Daniel and said in Daniel chapter 7, mm. he said that this Antichrist beast in the last days would think to change God's times, times and laws. Law. Well, the only law to do with time in God's Ten Commandments is the Fourth Commandment, the fourth commandment the Sabbath. keeping the, sixth, the seventh day holy. The only one that says remember and everybody tries to forget it. That's right. So, so he's, he's got deception in one class. But what about those who, who believe in, in, in the Ten Commandments? Mm. Well, his one is that, well, you can't keep them. Well, I mean, it's a brilliant strategy. He deceives brilliant. God's people in believing it's impossible to fully obey them. Mm. This, and in our own human nature, that is true, isn't it, Colin? Yeah, but the yeah. promises in Hebrews chapter 8 and 10, and according to the Old Testament. God pro- gives us new motives and desires. He says, I will write my laws. Who's going to write them? God does. God says, I will write my laws on your mind and your hearts. Mm. 
and give us a desire to obey them. Yes. He will write them, and he writes them through the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is the one who's writing them on our hearts and gives us a desire to obey them. When we have Christ living in us, he will seek to obey them through us. Mm. So he deceives God's people in believing it's impossible to fully obey them. I believe this is the Amiga apostasy Ellen White warned about and what the church faces today. And I believe the apostasy is making itself known in numerous ways, ways that appear to be a blessing. Satan using the same lure he used with Eve in the garden, the lure of a higher experience that is void of any focus on absolute obedience to God's commandments in one life. Mm. So you can have an experience, but void of, of obedience to God's commandments. Yes, true. And it's interesting that, um, you know, Satan's accusation. And Ellen White was very aware of Satan's efforts in the last you know, in the last days, in the past, in her day, 100 years ago, uh, to present God's law. She looked at Satan's efforts, and this is what she said in Desire of Ages, page 24. Can you just read that, what she says in Desire of Ages, page 24? Satan represents God's law of love as a law of selfishness. He declares that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. So, So she's saying that, he says it's impossible for us to obey God's commandments. So when you look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, it says that Satan, the dragon, was wroth with the woman who keeps the commandments of God and have the faith of Je- or the testimony of Jesus. You can see why he's angry, because this is proving him wrong. That's he right. says it's impossible. Here is a group of people that actually keep the commandments. Because the Bible says it can be done through Christ's righteousness. Amen. Yeah, through his merits. Yeah. It can be done. And they are proving him wrong. So he then goes to make war with them. He wants to exterminate them and blot out this, I guess, vestige of evidence, what, what evidence contrary to what he's saying, get rid of it so that he can um, he can well, perpetuate his government, I guess. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And here's another one from The Great Controversy, an incredible book. I really recommend people to read this book. It's just an amazing book called The Great Controversy and The Desire of Ages. Uh, on page 582, she says, from the very beginning of the great controversy in heaven, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. Mm. You see, that, that's his ultimate purpose, yeah. is to overthrow the law of God. Well, the, the law said you shall have no other gods before me, and he obviously wanted to be like the Most High. That's right. Mm. And listen to this. It was to accomplish this that he entered upon his rebellion against the Creator. This is his ultimate purpose. Yes. All the, other, all the deceptions underlying little things that are all over the place— Ultimate purpose is to lead you away from obedience to God's mm. law, His commandments, yeah, His constitution. And though He has cast, and though He was cast out of heaven, He has continued the same warfare upon the earth. So this is His warfare upon the earth. Right. So the issues in the great controversy the have not changed. It's it just comes the down to God. the law of God. Yep. And who God is and what his character is like. Wow. And you know, again, in the Desire of Ages, page two hundred eighty-four, Ellen White says the rabbis. In Christ's days, virtually represented God as giving laws which it was impossible for men to obey. They ah. threw millions of other laws upon it. You know, they had 660 laws, and they had laws within the laws to how to keep the laws. They made it such a burden and such an impossibility, which was Satan's design. Wow. It, it, it just struck me that, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new on the sun, that history keeps on repeating itself. What has been will be. And the rabbis in the day of Jesus— Represented God's law as impossible for men to obey. Don't we have rabbis? I use the term loosely. Don't we have rabbis nowadays that say the same thing? 
That's right. I have heard it many times and read mm. many books. Um, you know, that says that it's impossible to obey God's commandments. Mm. And what, what's impossible with men, we come back to that beautiful statement, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Now listen to this. I believe that Jesus vindicated God and proved Satan wrong. Amen. I want to say that again. Jesus vindicated God and proved Satan's wrong about his accusation. Because mm. Jesus was made... In the flesh like us That's right It says that he was made in the flesh like us nature in its fallen condition Yeah, That's right And because of Satan's accusations Jesus came to planet earth as a man He became as a man I want to emphasize that As a man to prove Satan's lie About God's law being wrong Mm. Jesus it says was made of a woman In Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 Yes It says he was made of a woman And he perfectly kept God's law Obeying from the heart every precept Jesus did not sin in thought, word or action mm. And there's this in, Here's in First Peter chapter 2 verse 21 to 23 If you could just read that Yes, for even hereunto were ye called Because Christ also suffered for us Leaving us an example That ye should follow his steps Who did no sin Neither was guile found in his mouth Who when he was reviled, reviled not again when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. So here, Peter, Peter, who was with Jesus, who wrote one of the books in the Bible, hmm. he has said, Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Yes. Well, how did Jesus do it? Is well, the question. We're yeah. following steps. How did Jesus do it? By surrender and faith in the Father He says I don't do the works The the works that you see me do is the works of the Father And I do it in the Father's name He says I either myself can do nothing Mm. That's what Jesus said I myself can do nothing He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit And trusting the Father And and, and I believe that Christ proved Satan wrong In his lying claim that God's law cannot be kept However I believe that Christ did even more Than vindicating God's law By his perfect sinless life Mm. I believe that Jesus has provided his, provided for God's people a righteousness, a sanctification, and a redemption, which could be theirs through faith. Amen. And we can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where this is what Paul says. It says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And I think the NIV puts it very interesting. It says, But of him you are in Christ who is for us wisdom from God, and that is righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So it actually equates the wisdom of God with the fact that righteousness, sanctification, and redemption is part of that wisdom package. And other, and other translations use the word justification, hmm. sanctification, and redemption. So here what it's saying is that Jesus did more than just vindicate law by his perfect sinless life. He's provided God's people a righteousness, a sanctification and redemption, which can be ours through what? Faith. So we've got to believe that God will give this to mm. us. So how do we have that? The only way that we can have Christ's righteousness, sanctification and redemption is if we have Christ living in and through us. Amen. And how do we have Jesus living in and through us? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask for the anointing, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm, There's a wonderful quote when Ella Wright talks about Jesus. She said, daily he received a fresh 
bat- this is talking about Jesus and Christ's object lessons, page 69. Daily, mm. he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says his lips and his soul were anointed with grace that he may impart to others. Mm. So daily, Christ received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if Christ received a daily fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't we need a daily fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Well, we just read in Peter that he is our example. So if he needed it, how much more do we need it? When we've sinned, Christ never sinned. That's right. And we so we can have Christ live out his life, his righteous life, his sanctified life, and his redemption through and in us. And we can have that through faith in his promises. Amen. Well, you know, that daily experience with the Lord is very important, and we've got to seek that just like Jesus uh, seeked it from his Father. And, you know, Jesus made this comment in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So that daily experience is a renewal every morning. When The first thing we need to do is roll out of bed onto our knees and recommit, reconsecrate our lives to the Lord and ask for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul said also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, he says, I die daily. So that death to self, which is reconciliation to Christ's death on the cross, his, his burial and resurrection is part of receiving that new life through the Holy Spirit, which represents Christ in us, our hope of glory. Now, if Paul died daily, what does it mean also he needed to do daily? Be born daily as well. Need to be baptized with the Holy and Spirit we daily. We have to be born again of water and of the Spirit. Daily. Amen. So, dear listener, we'll share our contact details with you now, and we'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249-73-3456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. Colin, just before the break, we were talking about the Amiga of apostasy. Maybe you can just, in wrapping up, summarize that for us. Well, we looked at you know how Satan knows that what the Apostle Paul wrote about being victorious over sin, and we looked at that in Romans chapter 6, about there is a promise that we can have victory over sin. Mm. We also looked at that Satan is making war on God's people in the last days who keep the commandments of God yes. and have the faith of Jesus. Amen. And we looked at that in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 and 14. We also looked throughout the churches, uh, the seven churches, that Jesus says there's a promise of to those who overcome sin in their lives, mm. okay, who overcome. And so knowing this, we expected the Satan would work hard at undermining obedience to God's Ten Commandments, especially in these last days. And he's constantly leading, you know, works to lead men and women to disobey God's commandments. And, uh, you know, and we've also looked at he'll also believe that it's impossible to obey God's commandments. That's right. That's that's Satan's counterfeit gospel. That's the one where people who actually believe in the commandments. Hmm. And so, you know, that's been his effort. And we, we know that Jesus came and proved Satan wrong and yes. vindicated God. And we looked at that, uh, you know, in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where Jesus became, uh, was made out of woman, and he perfectly kept God's commandments, obeying from the heart. And so Christ proved Satan wrong in his lying claim that God's law cannot be kept. However, we also learned that Christ wants to do even more. 
he wants to do more than vindicating God's law by his perfect life and sinless life. Well, he's done that. He wants, he's provided that for his people. We looked at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, a righteousness, sanctification, redemption, which can be ours through faith. Mm. So Jesus is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. And we're so grateful for God the Father for giving us his son because he loved each one of us so and he demonstrated it that Jesus was willing to go to the cross and die for us while we were yet sinners. Dear listener, we pray that God bless you and keep you until we can come together again to study further in God's word. God be with you. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.